Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Hi everybody, Megan Thompson here, and I am here to talk to you about the biggest question that I hear parents asking themselves often that is actually holding you back in terms of making this significant change in your household. And when I think about what significant change we're talking about, I want to talk about eliminating daily meltdowns for you and your child. (laughs) Because we know sometimes as parents where your child's having meltdowns, it means that you're also yelling um, or having a stressful, overwhelmed, sleepless night. And... I also want to talk about what that means for your family and how that impacts the whole family. So we're talking about not just eliminating those meltdowns or outbursts, but we're talking about taking you to the next level, which means actually having a loving relationship with your child. And while you as a parent absolutely love your child, I don't doubt that, I really want to talk about the difference between loving your child and having a loving, true and confidential relationship with your child. So I really want to dive into this topic, but but first I really want to talk about what it is that we're dealing with here. Parents who are dealing with everyday meltdowns or even several times a week, uh, you're walking on eggshells. You are frustrated and stuck holding your breath on a daily basis, wondering whether or not you will have peace tonight. And what that does for you is it it sends the message that over time you can't have what you want. And whether or not you accept this for yourself, or it's the first time that you're hearing that from, you know, in terms of, um, for me, what you're, what you're doing when you're complacent or when you're stuck in this pattern is you start to, to feel as if this possibility is not happening for you and it's not going to happen for you and your family. And so what does that do to your child? When we think about what your child is struggling with, when your child's having daily meltdowns or daily outbursts or constant irritability, just frequently yelling at you or reactive emotionally to your any request did you put your dishes in the sink you know did you happen to remember your sweatshirt I know I got it regardless of your child's age if they're reacting in that way to a simple question on a regular basis and by regular I mean multiple times a day or daily then your child is experiencing extreme emotions at a level that makes them feel out of control Nobody likes to feel miserable and nobody wants to feel miserable. And what that does to your body is it actually constricts your heart. It constricts your lungs. It shortens your breath and it increases the tension in your muscles. So over time, as we know that this is true, what you're doing for your family and what your family is enduring is it's sending the, the, the message to the brain and to the body that I'm in survival mode. And when that happens, your body starts to pick up on stressors and respond to it itself without 
connecting to the brain. And so what I mean by that is your body no longer tells the brain that something's wrong. It just sits in the body. Any stressor sits in the body. It, it comes out as a stomach ache or as a headache or, you know, um, other, other, you know, muscle tension, crickety back, things of that nature. And when that's going on, you as a, as a parent, you're not noticing that this is a symptom of the significant stress that your family is enduring with having to deal with this major problem of dealing with everyday irritability, meltdowns, or outbursts with your family. And so for those of you who are in health or helping background, you probably noticed that you're you're dealing with some of these symptoms, but you might not have realized if this is, you know, this type of stress that you're dealing with is actually exacerbating or potentially causing the body dysfunction that you're experiencing right now. So I really want to call attention to that. And the next thing that I want to address when we think about what's going on and, and the biggest, biggest question that parents are asking themselves that's actually holding them back, I want to also tie into the understanding that your child is really stuck. Your child is feeling frustrated and in a, in, unable to manage disappointment, whatever it is that they are struggling with in that moment. And when that happens, your child starts to feel incapable of managing their emotions, incapable of feeling like they can solve their own problems safely and healthily. And so when that happens, it just compounds upon itself, that frustration, that loop of uh, consistently looking at what's not working, the negativity in, in someone's life for your child, for them, they'll, they'll see only what's not working and they'll focus on, on that and get really stuck and disappointed and, and stuck in frustration on a daily basis or multiple times daily basis. And when that's happening, your child starts to feel as if there's no hope. And so when you get to that point, when you're starting to notice that, whether your child is expressing that to you by continuing to have daily meltdowns or actually speaking about it by saying, I hate you, you hate me, um, or I might as well be dead, or there's no point, or it doesn't matter, um, or taking their anger out on siblings or you through hitting and um, and and other ineffective behavior at at the extreme level in terms of the parents that I work with at times, we see this and when that happens, it can throw you for a loop, especially if you've been focused on parenting in an effective way. So maybe you're not using timeouts, you've been using time-ins, or maybe you've never um, you know, threatened to, to take your kids' video games away and, and that's not something that you agree to as a parent. And so if, if that strategy has never crossed your mind as something that's ever gonna be effective, but you find yourself still floundering and struggling knowing that your child and your family is hurting, then this video is definitely for you because we're really gonna be getting into why you are still stuck regardless of what strategies and, and support you've already put in place for your child and for your family. And you know, especially for those of you who already know whether you're educators or helping professionals or, or in the medical field, um, what have you, other, other parents out there who are already knowledgeable in child development or um, the understanding of emotional intelligence and why it's so important for children. If this is you and you're still stuck, then I really encourage you to continue to listen because we really want to get into why you are struggling. And so the biggest question that I see parents struggle with again and again 
is the question that they ask themselves, who am I blaming? I want to get into this and I really want to tell a story related to this. When we think about what pattern I, I noticed over the years in working with families in my private practice or in the coaching practice here, um, what I've noticed is that many parents will start to focus on finding something to blame. Now, I really want to get clear on what I mean by that because I'm, I'm being blunt here because that's my nature. But it doesn't mean that you're saying to your kid, you know, you screwed up or I screwed up. But what I really want you to understand is that this goes into what I call fix it mode. If there's a problem, let's fix it. There's something to blame for my child's meltdown. And so therefore, I can find a solution. And so this is why I often talk to parents here in this group and, and um, you know, in, in other circumstances that asking for tips and tricks or a strategy to help your kiddo in the morning is really not the root of the problem. This is the root of the problem. You're asking, who am I blaming? And so if you're asking you know, my kiddos to bring because they they didn't sleep well. And so it's not necessarily their choice, but you're noticing that's the cause. You're still stuck in fix it mode, trying to diagnose the problem from a very narrow focus. And so what I mean by that is you're looking at the last 24 hours and and what what caused the meltdown today, what caused the meltdown yesterday um, or what caused the meltdown this hour. And when you're looking at that, often all you have the energy to do because it is draining and exhausting and frustrating as all hell to deal with meltdowns and irritability and exhaustion from in your child and with your family on a day in day out basis. So please know that if you are feeling as if you are to blame while watching this. I really want you to notice that that's not why I'm teaching you today. What I'm teaching you today is that that is your automatic response. And if that's your automatic response, then we need to address that specifically because it is something that I see day in, day out with parents that I work with. Now, when we think about the parents who go through my program, I, I affectionately call it boot camp because it is intensive for the beginning part. With that said, you're already dealing with a hell of a lot. And so our goal is to be intentional and um, get the job done effectively without a whole lot of information or, or you know, reading and, and materials. With that said, the assignments are pointed so that you're able to make the make this change significantly. So when I think about that in terms of the parents that I've worked with in the past and the parents that I work with right now, the big thing that we notice is holding them back is a pattern that I actually learned of initially from my mom. You know, when I was thinking about over the years where my sister was struggling the most, how my brother and I we're not um, struggling in the same way in terms of you know managing any regular anxiety or um, frustration or uh, any stressors. Once I started to have my training after grad school, um, you know, being a therapist and learning about how to truly accept someone who's very sensitive, um, I started to open up the the. The, the jar, you know can of worms of like, okay, well, maybe this is what's going on with my sister. If my parents didn't seem to understand how sensitive she was, 
then it makes sense that if if the way that they parented her didn't work for her, but it, it worked for my brother and I. And so what I mean by that is, you know, my brother and I, um, our behaviors weren't as intense in terms of our emotional expression and experience, but that does not mean that we were perfect children. And my, myself, especially, I was definitely a yeller growing up. Um, I was an angry teenager. And so when we think about the strategies that my parents used, it was very traditional parenting, um, you know, grounding and things of that nature by the time I was, I was an angry teenager. And so with that said, you know, given the positions that I've had in, in my in my job and the fact that I became a therapist and, and was successful at it and, um, you know, supervised therapists and now run my own businesses, we know that there's a part of my personality that was um, fed and honored in the, the drive that I have for myself. But what we what you don't see behind the scenes is how this question, this automatic thought of who is to blame when anything comes up is actually captured in my day-to-day experience and had been for many, many years beyond, um, you know, moving out of my parents' home. And so when we notice that and the way that, the way that my, my, I would say my mom especially, but, um, my dad's a fix it in a different way. He's definitely a fixer in an analytical way. He's an accountant. Um, so if there's a problem, we solve it. Um, and so with that said, the way that my parents were raised, the way that they were managing and, and parenting us um, was was eons, light years ahead of, you know, way, way better than the way that they were raised. You know, they got the belts, they got, um, you know, spanked, things of that nature. And so, of course, if they didn't use that on us, um, they were they were they were amazing parents, and, and I, I love them dearly. And it's also true that that part of the you know who is to blame mentality is a thread that I see a lot of the parents that I work with continue to focus on. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting back into my you know my my conversations over the years with my mom as to you know, how she reached out to help, because as I want to help so many other parents, and I do already, I also want to truly understand the struggles that you're experiencing. And so over the years, as I discovered um, the highly sensitive personality trait, what actually works to, to make that trait a whole part of a child's being rather than the you know, laser focused problem of a highly sensitive child's personality. Um, I asked my mom and I said, you know, who did you tell that you were struggling with parenting uh, my sister? And she said, well, nobody. (laughs) I mean, I think she maybe told her sister, but guys, my mom's a nurse. So she just figured like she had a, a kid who was struggling to follow directions and not listening. And Um, and so what happened is that she blamed herself. And so she never even told our pediatrician, um, never even talked to, um, you know, her other, maybe, maybe her best friend knew a little bit about it and saw, um, my sister's tearfulness and, and emotional expression that was different from the other kids in in their household. And, and, um, her best friend was also a nurse. Um, but at that point they just chalked it up to typical, um, you know, typical kiddo who, who was just, you know, a little too much. And, and 
emotions in the household weren't um, weren't something negative, especially negative emotions weren't necessarily something that we needed to express. <laughs> um, and so when we think about getting that message growing up, what what I learned over the years is that I was um, not that it that it was important for me to handle my own emotions um, by myself, and because of that, I judged myself for having any negative emotions. And so for me, um, that just meant I would stuff them and just not deal with them. And so occasionally that obviously didn't work, and so I would get angry and. Um, with that said, it didn't, didn't impact my ability to hold down a job. It didn't impact my ability to do really well in any employment. Uh, it didn't impact my ability to get very high marks in college and in grad school. And so it, it didn't inhibit me. Now, with that said, parents of highly sensitive children, and I know this is you guys who are watching today, this is something that you know is impacting your highly sensitive child on a daily basis. And so when you start to ask yourself, you know, who am I to blame? And, and because you know that your child is still a child, your automatic thought is not to blame your kid because your child is learning. Your child is a child, right? And so when, when the automatic thought of, okay, what's to blame? Where's the solution to fix that problem? Can't go to your kid because you're making an active choice to not let that thought process be honored in, in the way that you parent your child, then who does it have to go to? It has to go to you. And so when that happens, you start to maybe not overtly, but regularly blame yourself for your child's emotions, blame yourself for your child's experiences, and blame yourself for not having figured this out. So what happens when that happens, guys? What we're doing is, sorry, my dog decided to chill with me. <laughs> See my hand in the picture, in the video. What's she doing? Um, and so when that happens, what we're what we're observing here is that you, as a parent, start to perpetuate self-criticism. And so the thing about this that really surprised me is, you know, especially learning about this from, um, from my mom many years ago, what I, what surprised me the most is that she knew, she knew that there was something up and that she couldn't figure it out. And she was an expert in her field, you know, pe pediatric nursing. And so she, with that said, still couldn't move out of that to reach for help because she was blaming herself. And so what happened is that that lesson gets perpetuated and it gets perpetuated in your household. So when we think about highly sensitive children who have a higher propensity to developing shame, a shame-based experience and, and shaming themselves and, and really struggling with processing shame. We see this in the research with, with highly sensitive adults specifically. Um, and I see this in my practice with children and we know that Shame is a huge proponent in depression. So if your child's saying "I hate you," if your child is saying um, "you you know you're the worst" or or "you hate me," uh, or worse, uh, thinking that they were better off dead, then that or angry without getting any deeper than that, there's obviously an underlying sense of shame, and as well as a wealth of other emotions that your child's not able to manage. And so when that's happening 
you have to look at how you as a parent are managing and perpetuating that sense of blame. And so oftentimes I will hear from parents that um, they just don't know how to help and that makes you feel helpless. And it makes sense that you feel helpless because you've tried a million things and, and it hasn't moved you out of this intensity in your household. And what I want to talk about today is not just whether or not you're asking yourself this question, and it might not be every single time your child has a meltdown, but it's likely automatic for you. Um, when you're asking yourself that question over a period of time, especially for you, who, for those of you who it's been months, six months, or you know years where you've been dealing with daily meltdowns and your child is older than the age of four, and even four-year-olds and three-year-olds don't have daily meltdowns if they're highly sensitive and their parents know how to help their child express their emotions clearly. So you know, even two-year-olds don't have daily tantrums and meltdowns who are highly sensitive. So I really want to get clear that if your child is struggling with this, then there is something that you can do to change that. And so when we think about how this question of, of who is to blame or what is to blame, what, what, what this does for a family, I also want to talk about why it's something that you need to address now. Because we as parents can, and, and for those of us who are, you know, functioning, high-functioning adults who can hold down jobs and we go to work, we go in, day out, we love our children, we parent to the best of our ability. When we're not managing whether or not we blame ourselves for our own circumstances in a way that keeps us stuck in our same patterns, then our child learns the same thing. Now, Again, as I mentioned before, I love my parents dearly. And the one thing that my mom has always said whenever I talk about the, the successes I have with my clients, you know, I celebrate that often. Uh, we speak on an almost daily basis. Um, she always says, I wish there was somebody like you when I was raising your sister because she had no idea and, and what to do differently and what wasn't working. And so... One of the things that I know works and is important for you as a parent is to really dive even deeper beyond the strategy of what helps your child eliminate daily meltdowns, but what in you is your automatic response. And so that's why I really focus on that and working with parents, because when you're not addressing that in a systematic and effective way, then you're going to perpetuate the same problem when your kid hits a different developmental milestone. So it's going to show up in a different way. Your child might not have a meltdown, but they might be constantly irritable or they might develop um, more anger or frustration or stop talking to you altogether and shut down and isolate in their room or get stuck on their screens and have meltdowns only when you're taking away the screens. And so when that happens, you have to take a very clear look on whether or not your child is blaming themselves for their own emotions because when you're not noticing that and you're not clear on how to fix that then you are teaching your child that they are the one creating this chaos in their own emotional experience and when you do that they feel shame and when shame happens for children it perpetuates into adulthood and and i really want to talk about that today too because 
one of the things that we know is that over time, and I've said this before, you know, my, my sister, she developed depression, which then led to anorexia um, after she was, um, you know, just by nature of life needing to be independent. She had graduated college and she was then all of a sudden, you know, expected to hold down a job and, and um, you know, manage any stress related to that. And it's not typical for college graduates to call their parents every day, but while they're not there, you know, they're, they're able to, um, you know, manage their everyday stress. And so because that was very difficult for her, she got stuck in a pattern of blaming herself for anything that was going on. And that led to depression. And then that led to restricting her eating because um, it was something that she could control. And we know this in terms of how eating disorders develop. But for some people, the depression or the anxiety is is that is that just that. And so it inhibits them without a development of an eating disorder. But what I really want to get to in terms of understanding this for your children is why focusing on fixing the problem with a quick solution actually perpetuates the cycle that you're in. And the, the, the pattern can be very hard on the whole families because, and I'm going to get personal in that respect here for myself as well. And again, you know, my sister, she knows that we talk about um, what our family went through because we all know that it's helping other parents make the decision to, to fix it. Um, so it's worth sharing that vulnerability, but you also need to know what it creates for the other kids in your family. It's not just happening for your highly sensitive child who has a higher propensity to shame. They're just the ones more vocal or emotionally expressive about it more frequently and more intensely. So for siblings, we think about what happens to siblings. And I'm not, this is not just from my personal experience is what I see in my, again, in my private practice and in the coaching practice as well, is that we see the siblings, um, you know, myself included being the sibling of a highly sensitive child, start to do the same thing. If there's a problem, what's the solution? And how do I get out of this current emotion immediately? Because I don't like disappointment or frustration. And so that might look like you're an effective, um, you know, student, or it might look like you're an effective, um, you know, employee as you as you as you age. But what it doesn't show is whether or not you can emotionally manage stress. And so that might not be a problem until it starts to be, um, and still it starts to play out in relationships. So if your other children are not dating at this current moment, um, you might not see for the next 10, you know, 5, 10 years, how this plays out in their emotional relationships, whether that be with their friendships or with their um, with significant others, but it also could be playing out in their relationship with, with teachers or with with employers. You think about not being able to manage frustration, not being able to manage um, stress without shutting down and pretending that it's not there. What happens? You get anxious um, and you start to solve your problems quickly because you can't tolerate distress. And if you can't tolerate distress, then anyone around you who's creating distress is either uh, wrong or not good enough for you. And so what that does is it creates problems in future relationships. So, you know, romantic relationships, being critical, nagging, um, or friendships, um, trying to, you know, pick friends who have no problems, who are good vibes only. Um, 
then you're not able to to notice that all emotions are up and down and all emotions are okay and healthy. And if you are only focusing on being positive and never able to manage any negative emotion, then that eventually hits you like a truck. Um, and so for me, it hit me with my relationship with my husband because my relationship with prior boyfriends wasn't... Um, no, there wasn't meaningful enough to really change. It was their fault <laughs> or my fault, but I didn't feel like dealing with it. And so when I needed to, to make that change in, in my marriage, what I, what I knew is that I wasn't willing to, um, to, to live a life where somebody else was the cause of my problems. And so I stopped nagging and stopped focusing on that and, and really dove deeper into why I was critical. And, and the reason was because I was very critical of myself. And where did I get that from? And so that nearly took my marriage out. Um, thankfully, I, I was able to get the support that I needed and, and shift out of that. And with that said, no one should have to deal with that in, in life. Um, we should be able to figure this out earlier. And, and I use the word should not from a place of like, you shouldn't deal with it, but from a place of if this is not what you want for your kids and your non-HSC children, then it's time to act. It's time to do something immediately because you might not see that the dynamic is impacting the entire family and it might not play out in that dynamic impacting the entire family for many, many years to come. But the second that your other children hit a giant sn snag is when push comes to shove and their ability to manage stress is going to save them or they will crash and burn. And so with that understanding, the, the greatest question that you need to be asking yourself instead of who is to blame is, how much more am I willing to take? Because if you are blaming yourself, then it's easy to brush it under the rug. It's easy to be like, well, I can take a lot because either you were raised in a tough suck it up family or you were raised in a family where you were experiencing childhood trauma. And so now you've got it made. Um, I really want you to look at your threshold. I want you to look at your threshold of self-blame. I want you to look at your threshold of discomfort in your household. Because some of the parents that I speak to on the phone really literally have no idea that you don't have to experience daily meltdowns, that you don't have to experience weekly meltdowns in parenting a highly sensitive kid. And it's mind-blowing, but it's also really freaking sad. Like, mind-blowing for the parents when we talk about this, but sad when you think about it. Like, sad, that possibility never crossed your mind. That it never um, never felt possible to you or that you were never taught that that's not typical and doesn't have to be your normal. And when that's going on, I really want you to be clear that you can be free of this intensity, this emotional intensity, in less than eight weeks. And, and I'm not joking around, guys. Like, there's families that I work with in terms of speaking about this in my program. It does not take that long to stop having daily meltdowns. It takes, it, it's fast because 
we work on these direct issues. We don't just give you like, you know, soft genes to put on your kid. It, it, it's, it's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. It's way more intense and, 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 and um, important than, than that. And when we think about why, why it is that you're stuck in this cycle, you have to look at the root. You have to get very clear and thorough on what's going on in you that's perpetuating complacency in being okay with your whole family living in chaos. And I, I, again, my bullshit, no bullshit attitude is coming out calling it chaos because it is chaotic. It is chaotic. Um, you know, and you don't have to live like that. It, 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 nobody has to live like that. It was chaotic growing up, and I don't even know. I, I can't even remember, honestly, if I think about, like, my automatic thoughts of how my childhood was. Um, I have to dig pretty deep to think of, like, things that went well, and it's really hard for me. And, and I wouldn't say that it's... Um, wouldn't say that it's impossible. It's definitely not impossible. I feel loved truly by both my parents and that's not a question, but I don't remember um, the good things. And I think this is something that I hear from parents a lot is, um, you know, a fear of yours is that the, the struggle that you're enduring right now and that you haven't been able to work out of yet is going to overshadow the positivity and when you think about having a problem of experiencing daily meltdowns and constant irritability and focus on getting out of that without real, true, efficient results, then you're training your whole family to focus on what's not working and to be fixers. And so, yeah, it's made me amazing at my job. <laughs> great that I'm here and there's no other job that I would I would ever do um, and and it takes a lot of work for me to not be a fixer for myself and that is something that I've had to work on intensely and significantly for many many years because a high level of um, you know being a fixer and, and helping other people solve their problems clearly and deeply um, you know, I, I'm constantly looking for my own flaws and it's been a major battle in a way of, you know, being open and honest about how and why I don't live that life anymore. But with that said, it took a long freaking time to get out of that. And, um, it, you know, we think about again, how my parents were raised and, you know, my, my mom, I hear memories told by my uncle, um, you know, my uh, her brother-in-law, of um, of my nana who was really, really strict and like really, really, um, um, just like had very you know high standards and and very particular. And um, you know, my mom's uh, perception of of what's normal and what's okay is is like you know totally. Um, not that that type A, but what I really want to get to is understanding is that when we look at our family and how we were raised, we don't move far from our initial 
childhood standards unless we take massive action to change that. And otherwise, we perpetuate the same problems for our children. And for me, that was definitely not something that I was willing to consider for my daughter. And, you know, my husband the same. And so we, we shifted that significantly, but not without help and not without clear picture of, of and the struggle, a lot of struggle to, to really get to where we needed to be. But what I want to get to at this point for you, because we've been speaking for quite some time, is starting to understand what you need to do and what's important. Now, we looked at who you're blaming and, and, and getting clear on whether or not you're ready to stop blaming yourself and stop thinking that anyone is at fault and start recognizing that regardless of the fact that there's nobody at fault here, there does still need to be a sense of accountability for you and your spouse if you're in a two-parent household because you're the ones who are raising your children. And so if that's the case, then you absolutely need to make this change and you absolutely need to start taking that responsibility in your hands rather than in the hands of the strategy or the particular solution to the one problem that you're dealing with this week or this month. And when we when we do that, when we no longer place the focus or the blame on the fact that you, you know served the wrong thing for dinner, but in reality that you've been perpetuating this problem because you're focusing on the, the wrong questions or you know ineffective level of questions, then you can really start to take clear and present action. So when we talk about that, what I really encourage you to do is to get on the phone. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about where you're really struggling, how often you're blaming yourself, how often you are without any um, true desire nor, um, uh, what's the word, without any true desire nor intention blaming your child. And when we think about that, the, you know, the, the guilt and the frustration and the self-criticism that just stays in that cycle, if you don't break it because you're instead feeling like you're doing something because you're looking into how to solve this problem, then you really need to get clear on what it's going to take to shift this dynamic for your household. And, and that's what we do on the phone. So I encourage you guys to get on the phone. Let's talk about where you need to go with parenting your child. But first, we're going to talk about what's really holding you back. And we're going to do that in a couple of different ways. We're going to get into why you're struggling parenting your child, but then also where you are experiencing the, the intense strife and struggle because if you're not managing it in an effective way then there's no way that you'll be able to move this out of your way for your children and so I really wanted to get very clear with that for you today so to sum up what we talked about today is the biggest problem that I see for parents is that they're looking for something to blame whether that be you yourself your child your child's emotions whatever you serve for dinner um, when you're stuck in that cycle, then you're no longer in a position to take the big picture and look broadly and solve the problems clearly and consistently. And so my husband's home from his business trip. I am signing off officially. If this is a problem that you guys have, um, then I really am implore you to make the time to get on the phone and 
and really take a take a very clear look at how to solve this problem efficiently, effectively, and immediately. Because you know, as I said before, nobody was put on this earth to suffer, not you, not your other children, not your spouse, and especially not your highly sensitive child, especially because they experience emotions so deeply. That level of suffering is going on so much more deeper than than you can even imagine. And we can really truly solve this problem for your family. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.